Usually I start out with a jolt, but today I have something serious to share with you. Most of you all know that, or would agree that we're living in the last of the last days. All denominations and stuff agree on that. And I've come up with something that can point to, um, you'll know that the end is right around the corner. And that's this. When I go to McDonald's and order a salad instead of a double cheeseburger and fries, you know the end is right around the corner. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a good God. We thank you for your love for us. Your word says that your love, Lord God, your agape love never fails. Never fails. Never fails. And Lord, we're looking at a series on discord right now, as you know, uh, which is just the opposite. And so, Lord, uh, we just invite you, Spirit of the living God, we don't want to hear from Brother Warren. We want to hear from the throne of grace. We want to hear from you. We want to get revelation from your word, things that will, uh, we can take to the bank of our heart and put in place and really function in to get uh, your results, Lord God. So we ask you, Spirit of the living God, to minister life to us, from the very word that you inspired. And we give you all glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin today in uh, the book of beginnings in Genesis. Genesis chapter 13, verses 6 to 8. This is talking about uh, Lot and Abram before they changed his name to Abraham. And it says in verse 6, Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great they could, that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Persites were also dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. And it goes on, if we continue reading, um, he said, the whole land is before us. You know, why should we be in discord and strife? One of the words used to describe discord is the word strife. And so Abraham told Lot, he says, you choose where you want to go. And if you go over here, I'll go over there. I want you to notice that um, the discord was caused um, by God's prosperity. God prospered them so much, they had so many cattle and sheep that, um, you know, the land wouldn't support them. So they had to, Lot had to take his group and go one place, and Abram took his group and went another place. So it isn't always something... Um, you know, from the enemy that can cause discourse. We can get all bent out of shape about all kinds of things, uh, big things and little things. 
So I want to use this scripture because it shows that uh, discord and strife is not something new. It's been around for a long time. Now this could have been very disastrous if uh, Abraham, Abraham hadn't done something about it. <clears throat> if they hadn't talked and decided Lot would go one place and he would go another place, and that ended all the strife and the discord. If they hadn't done it, this could be disastrous. The Bible would have been written in a totally different way in this chapter. Um, <clears throat> in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, it says this. It says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. All sins. That's why it says the love of God uh, never fails. Another scripture in Romans 5, 5. Just now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God has put his love within us by the Holy Spirit. Oh, you just missed a good place to shout right there. I mean, he poured out his love within us. The love of God, this is talking about the agape love of God. Not just, you're my friend. And I care about you. This is the agape love of God, the kind of love that loved someone like me when I was in my sin for 35 years. Loved me all the way through that whole time when I was slapping God in the face. <clears throat> That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22a says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's agape love. It's love for God, it's love for one another, and it's love for a lost and dying world. You know, Leah's going to go to a hard place where most people that she comes in contact with probably have not even heard about Jesus. <clears throat> Don't know that there's a God that loves them, that he sent a Savior. It's... So we can see from Galatians 5.22 that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're born again and the Spirit of God is in you, the love of God has been spread abroad in your heart. It's not, is it going to be, how much have I got? It's spread abroad. It's in there in abundance because God is in there. <clears throat> and what we have to do it's a fruit of the Spirit. We have to take our fruit to market. You can't just leave it in there. <laughs> That's why we love one another. We do things for one another. And the Bible says that the world will know us by our love. And sometimes it has a hard time distinguishing between the Christians and the non-Christians because so many are fighting over this and that and the other thing. There's a lot of discord in the church worldwide, a lot of strife. Because this guy says, I've got it all right. And this guy says, we've got it all right. You know, and they argue back and forth about who's got it all right. And the fact is, neither one of them have it all right. The only one that's got his uh, theological doctrine perfect without a flaw is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody else is not perfect in their doctrine. Oh, we got it as close as we know how we can get it. 
the best we can do with our study and so forth. But it's not perfect. Only Jesus had it perfect. So take your fruit to market. Just think about it. If everybody Christian walked in love like Jesus did, and the agape love of the Father, how different the world would be today. Oh, yeah, there would still be a lot of people, you know, making fun of you and be all this kind of stuff. There'd still be sin in the world. But if the church was walking in that love, the world would see that. And we wouldn't have to go out and um, try to evangelize so much. They would come running to this. They would want what we have. Hallelujah. And the reason uh, there's a problem is because we have an adversary. He says it in Ephesians 6.11. It says, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what does that mean? We're not going to talk about the armor today. But what does it mean to stand against the wiles of the devil? Wiles is talking about his trickery and his lies and his deception. That's pretty much what he's got to operate in. It's smoke and mirrors and trickery. And the connotation of the word there is talking about a journey of trickery, a journey of deception. It's an ongoing thing with the devil. And so he gets in there and stirs all, everything up. And when we allow him to do that, you know, it just goes from bad to worse. And here's a famous scripture, John 10.10. 10. I'm going to read it to you. And you've read this scripture many times. Many of you can quote it, and I've read it many times. But in preparing for this message, I asked God for revelation on this scripture. Because there's been all kinds of ideas on what, well, let's just read it first. John 10.10, 10, it says, A thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Notice that the thief does not come except. That's his total purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. So what I wanted to know from God was what is it that the devil wants to steal? Does he want my house? No, that wasn't it. Does he want my pickup truck? That wasn't it. He didn't want that. Does he want my new leather shoes I got handmade in the Philippines last year? No, he didn't want them either. What is it, God, that he wants to steal? Well, notice the last part of the verse. It's, verse it says that I, Jesus said, I have given that life that you may have it more abundantly. He wants to steal your quality of life. And the way he does that is he tries to steal a manifestation of God's love that's within you, that love that's been poured abroad in your heart. He wants to steal the manifestation of it. He can't steal the love out of your heart, but he can steal the manifestation of it um, as I try to love Dan or he tries to love me if we get sideways with each other and start saying bad things about one another. He can steal that. And discord gets in there. He uses discord and strife to do that. That's one of the things that he uses. That's how he tries to steal the manifestation of our love. 
Then we get preoccupied. The more I'm preoccupied with my disagreement, the less effective I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. You know, if we're arguing over doctrine or something, um, and that's all we can think about, and I'm always trying to prove my point, and the other guy's trying to prove his point, you know, our effectiveness in the kingdom is going to be go south. What happens is when we get dogmatic about our position, and you have to be dogmatic about it in certain areas, like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get there except by Jesus. Somebody else is preaching another way. Yeah, you've got to be dogmatic about that. I'm not talking about those kinds of things. But what happens is pride gets in there. Pride is a terrible thing. It's a powerful thing. Pride is what made the devil homeless. He's got no place. That's why he's called the prince of the air. You don't think he's the prince of the air. All you got to do is turn on your TV, your radio, and listen to some of the garbage that's on there. We get kicked out of heaven. If the thief is successful, now I hope you're getting this because one of the delusions is, the big delusion is that it's just a little disagreement. You know, what's the big deal? Don't worry about it. And it starts out as a little, like a molehill, like the old saying goes. And pretty soon, it's a Missouri hill. And the next thing you know, it's Rocky Mountains. It starts out small, but if you don't deal with it, the illusion is it's just a little problem, a little disagreement. What's the big deal? That's what he'll whisper in your ear. But if he's successful in stealing the manifestation of your love by sowing discord, watch this now, then he can kill the effectiveness of your faith. Let me say that again. If he's successful in stealing the manifestation of your love, then he can kill the effectiveness of your faith. Galatians 5.6 says this. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Church active, effective faith flows out of and through God's agape love. Your faith won't work without a motivation of love. You can have a lot of it, but if you haven't got any love, it's not going to work. You can have a brand new car. If you haven't got any gas, you're not going to go anywhere. Or diesel, depending on what it is. The same thing. For Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Active, effective faith flows out of and through God's agape love. So this is serious stuff. You know, that's just a little disagreement, but when he steals your manifestation of God's love, when you can't take that fruit to market, when he steals that, when you're sideways with somebody, this is what happens. It affects your faith. 
And if it gets to the point where your faith is non-effective because you haven't taken care of something, listen to me. Then he has destroyed your ability to appropriate and acquire what God has already provided by grace. Because faith, as you've heard me say many times, is the currency of the kingdom. You can have billions of dollars, but you're not going to get anything from God with your, with your dollars. But you can have a mustard seed of faith and trust in him and his word and receive all his promises. Are you listening? So that's why he wants to steal your love. Because if he steals your love, he can make your faith ineffective, or at the very least, less effective. And if it's weakened, and you're not able to appropriate God's provision from the spirit realm into this realm, your life is going to go south. Amen? Amen, anybody? Amen. Can't be sleeping yet. So that's how we acquire things. You guys all know this. God wants us to walk in love like Jesus did. The thief comes to sow discord and strife to steal the manifestation of God's love that's within us. We're full of it. That will kill, in turn, kill the effect of our faith, the effectiveness of it, which will eventually destroy our ability to appropriate God's provision. And that's when you hear people say, where's God? Why aren't my needs being met? And so on and so forth. And you start checking around and you find out that uh, some of them are in discord. And they believe the lie that it's just a small thing it's no big deal. It starts out a small thing, but most of the time it can become a big deal if it's not dealt with. So in the time I got left here, I want to share with you um, seven practical things that you can do to deal with discord. And the first one we've already really talked about is that's to recognize the delusion that this is serious business. Realize the wiles of the devil that he's trying to steal the manifestation of God's love out of your heart. Now, I didn't come up with this stuff. This is what I got from God by meditating on these scriptures. Because I specifically asking him, what's he, want, what's he trying to steal? What's he after? And he's after that love of God that's within us. So we don't manifest it to a lost and dying world or even to one another. He wants to keep the church fighting because nobody wants to be part of a church that's fighting. You get two people fighting. Those of you who are married and got kids and they're fighting, you know, the other kids don't want to be around them. So the first thing is we need to recognize the seriousness of the wiles of the devil, that he's trying to get our love, that will affect our faith, that will also affect our ability to appropriate what God has provided for us. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Remember I said pride 
will sneak in sometimes if you're dogmatic about your position. Um, and pride is a, is a terrible thing. That's what made the devil homeless. You died in Christ Jesus when you were saved. You don't really need to defend your position. You are in Christ Jesus now. He's your defense. Jesus didn't defend himself. He just answered specific questions. Are you the son of God? You say that I am. Yeah, I'm the son of God. I told you that before, but you didn't believe me. Stuff like that. But he didn't go on and on and try to defend himself. Matthew 18, 14 says this. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, let's read the next scripture. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7 says this. Likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submitted to one another and be clothed with humility. Hmm. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You know, if your position is correct, he'll exalt it in due time. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It goes on and on. So God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we want to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. If we do that, you will cut the head off of pride. It's a very powerful thing. It's what got, it'll eliminate pride if you choose to humble yourself under God. Proverbs 17, 19. He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. That's a little hard to understand. What it's talking about, the word transgression there, he who loves quarreling, we could say, loves strife, and he who exalts his gate means to glorify his position, seeks destruction. Somebody who says, my position is the right position, there's no other position. You know, I know people like that. I'm sure you do too. Their doctrine is all only one there is, and some of their doctrine is real good, and some of it's not so good. But they think it's all perfect, and they're the only ones that are going to be there. None of the rest of us are going to be there. So we need to remain teachable. If you have a difference of opinion on whatever, let's just use theological doctrine because there's plenty of, plenty of that around. You know, if, you're, you're, if you have a difference of opinion with a brother or a sister, uh, you know, they've always believed this way and you've always believed that way, um, talk about it. Seek the truth in the Word of God. The truth will set you free. Maybe both of you are wrong, but the word of God is not wrong. Amen? Amen. Seek out the truth. It'll set you free. Most people that have discord and disagreements over theological doctrine um, just think they have it all right. Like I said earlier, nobody has it all right except Jesus Christ. Everybody's got some little flaw somewhere, no matter how close we are. 
So we might as well start loving each other now because eternity is a long time. Amen? Amen? And we know we're not perfect. We don't have everything perfect like Jesus. Well, when he looks at us, he sees us perfect in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So number one was to, to check, make sure, be aware of the wiles of the devil. Realize that he's trying to steal your love. And we, I shared how important that is. Number two, you want to humble yourself. Number three, that will cut the head off of pride. And number four, seek the truth. Remain teachable. You know, you can have a wall full of degrees. I know guys with doctorate degrees that don't know how to get anybody saved. Can't give a simple gospel message. And I know guys with doctorate degrees that can really preach a good message and have an altar call and get a lot of people saved. So it's on an individual basis. But you can have all these degrees, but, you know, if you don't know the simple truth and uh, proclaim it, it won't do much good. The next one, number five, Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. What that means is he puts contention to rest. He quiets contention. He calms contention. He relieves contention. Somebody who's slow to anger. You know, you know, redheads are known for their temperament and stuff. Leah doesn't fit that mold very well. She's such a sweet, quiet person. But she carries the truth around with her. And that's going to minister to a lot of people. So we, number five is we need to be slow to anger. See, our flesh always wants to defend itself. The reason it does that is because it's not saved. Your flesh ain't going to heaven. Your spirit is. And you'll get a new body, a glorified one. Your flesh just wants to defend itself. It wants to sleep too much. It wants to eat too much. It wants to do whatever it wants to do to, to benefit it, period. It's not interested in God. It's just interested in itself. That's what the flesh is. So, you know, we need to be slow to anger. Think about things. Don't worry about justifying our position. Go to the truth of God's word. See what it says. And I want to share a testimony with you. Um, before I came to Missouri, I'm from up north, for those of you who don't know, from Wisconsin, uh, central Wisconsin. I worked in a paper mill for 3M Company. We made carbonless paper, the same stuff you see them used in motels and hotels and everywhere. You write to the first copy. It'd write to as many as six copies at that time. And I ran a paper machine there that cut the paper from big rolls into eight and a half by 11 sheets. And we had this guy there, I'm going to call him Dennis the Menace, because he would just go around and try to find things to make your job harder. He would purposely try to make my job harder. And not just me, anybody in the plant who had an opportunity to foul up, he would do that. For instance, if, you were, if there's paper on both sides, big stacks of paper, and you're going down this aisle with a tow motor, He'd grab a pallet or something and pull it off and drop it in front of you. 
So you'd have to stop, set the load down, put it out of gear, go put the pallet up, and get back in, and then go about your... He'd just do stuff like that. You know, no reason for it. He was just mischievous. And I got saved when I was in that plant. And can I be honest with you? Nobody liked Dennis the Menace, including me. If I had my way, I'd punch his lights out. That's just the way I felt. And I said, God, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to love this guy, and I can't even stand him. I just want to take him outside. God led me to this scripture. James 1, 19 and 20. says this. So then, my beloved brethren, he's talking to me, Every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I pound a couple lumps on Dennis's head. That's not going to produce the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's not what Jesus would do. So I said, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to love this guy. I don't even like him. I said, what am I supposed to do? I got myself a pen and a pad, and I got alone with God. And I says, I need to know what, what I got to do to like this guy. So I'm expecting this two- or three-page theological dissertation on how to love Dennis the Menace. It didn't happen. God says, when he says something nasty about you, you say something nice about him. Well, that was a stretch to find something nice about him. But I did. It says, when he does something to make your job harder, when you get a minute, you go do something to make his job easier. I didn't even write anything down yet. And then it's silence. I says, that's it? Nothing. So, okay, so <laughs> it was less than a week. He would say something bad about me. I can remember the only thing I could think of good to say about him was we have a company picnic every year. Last year at the picnic, uh, remember your wife and kids, how are they doing? Everybody doing good at home, showed some interest in his family. He looked at me like kind of amazed because nobody even talked to this guy hardly. He says, yeah, they're doing fine. Thanks for asking. And then I'd do something for him, you know, when I had a chance. Because our job's kind of intertwined in, in a couple of places in the plant. And within a week, less than a week, about four days, uh, Dennis the Menace was saying nice things to me and helping me do my job. If he could make it easier for me, he would. He was still being nasty to everybody in the whole plant, <laughs> except for me. So you know what that did? That brought everybody in the plant to me. So what did you do to Dennis? He doesn't treat you like the rest of us. And it gave me an opportunity to witness to a lot of people. I didn't have to go hunting them down. They came to me. God used that um, to witness to a lot of people. And so you reap what you sow. But he was mean to everybody, so everybody else was mean to him. And it just went on and on and on and never got anywhere. As soon as somebody showed some love, 
even though in this simple form, just saying a nice thing or doing a nice thing for him when he was doing the opposite, he couldn't handle that. It's a biblical principle, you reap what you sow. He wasn't a Christian, but he couldn't stand nicey-nice. He had to be nicey-nice back. You know, you reap what you sow. <clears throat> Number six, choose not to be offended. Choose not to be offended. It's a choice. You can say something about me, and I can be offended by it, or I can just let it go and pray for you and pray for me <laughs> so I don't get angry about it and do something that doesn't glorify God. People are offended over the smallest things. I could tell you if I had time. I was somewhere in Kansas ministering years ago. Little town, no bigger than, I don't think it was even as big as Hillsboro. There was a church on every corner. Little bitty, struggling church. I said to the pastor, I said, how come in this little town there's so many churches? You can have one or two or a couple of churches, you know, and uh, be thriving. He says, well, there's this pioneer spirit out here. And if you stand on this side of the pulpit and they don't like it, they will get some people in the church and they go over here and they start another church. And so there was churches all over the place because, you know, if they didn't like something, they couldn't change. They'd just go start their own little group. And they were all struggling because they all had, you know, a dozen people in them. And uh, they were offended by something. Now it's time for the church to grow up worldwide and clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus really didn't defend himself. Um, just to answer some uh, questions, um, you know, he could have brought legions of angels down from the cross that wouldn't have done us any good. He could have saved himself, and so on and so forth. All these things, he just didn't do it. Romans 13, 13 says this. It says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That tells me a couple things. Um, strife, which is a, one of the words used for discord, is listed right there with lewdness, drunkenness, reviling all these things. And it says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ make, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it. We are in control of that. We can put on the Lord Jesus Christ in a situation or we can let our flesh dominate and just get mad and do whatever. You know, your flesh is going to want to retaliate every time. But what would Jesus do? So number six was don't be offended. And number seven is to take your fruit to market. Take 
the love of God that's poured uh, abroad in your hearts, not just to one another, but we need to begin in the house of God. And, uh, you know, there's a move in this area for unity and in lots of places. And I was at the prayer thing along with a lot of you um, last week, I guess it was last week or the week before. And it was good to see that room full of people praying from all kinds of churches. And that's what God is looking for. The church at Hillsboro is, is the believers, amen? Not a building with a name on the front door. It's everybody who believes. So let's quickly review and we'll be done here. The first thing you want to do is be aware of the wiles, the trickery, and the deceit of the devil. Realize that he's trying to steal your love, which will affect um, your faith, which in turn will affect your ability to appropriate his provision. That's a big deal. <clears throat> Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's number two. Number three, that will cut the head off of pride. If you have a disagreement, get with that person. Get it straightened out. Seek the truth. If it's a scriptural thing, you know, remain teachable. Look at it together. Number five, be slow to anger. Number six, choose not to be offended. Don't listen to the delusion of the devil that it's no big deal. <clears throat> and I want to end with the scripture that uh, Steve ended with last week in a good sermon he preached. I couldn't think of a better one to end with. First Peter 4, 8. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we need to take the fruit of God's love that's within us to market, not just to one another, but to a lost and dying world. I'll tell you, there's nothing more gratifying than seeing a soul come to Jesus. You know, I've seen blind eyes open and deaf ears and people who can't walk, walk, all that kind of stuff. But it's not as gratifying is one sinner who comes to repentance. Honestly. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that um, everyone gets a hold of the revelation um, that the sneaky adversary is trying to steal our love that has this domino effect on our lives. And uh, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for the meal you've prepared before us, Lord God, and we're going to take part now in communion.